had our first real Zoom meeting last night. <clears throat> I've done hybrid courses before where people can come to meditation class and be online also. But an actual Zoom meeting, um, mostly for question and answer, and I'm actually not really that sure how it went. It seems like people have a hard time talking, asking questions, having conversation. And I am hyper vigilant about not becoming or being made into a cult leader of some kind or somebody who has the answers for everybody. Instead, as I've often or always tell people, I'm like a gym. I have lots of great machines, tools, for you to lose weight, get in shape, expand your physical proudness, but you got to use them and not everything is for everybody. And doing a lot of studying now on cults, I'm always learning about something. For a long time, I was looking at narcissism and narcissistic behavior, not necessarily a full-blown personality disorder, but just um, the, the tendencies, especially that of covert narcissism, which is when people are pretending, maybe even to themselves, to be wonderful, giving, kind, sweet, soft, and slightly hurt people, when really what they're doing is using all of that to manipulate someone else and get what they want or get sympathy and attention. And also communal narcissism, which is the new age, and social media, which is people who crave and thrive on being the center of attention. You can even have a communal narcissist in a family. Now remember, these are out of balance issues. So if you are an outgoing extrovert who tends to be the center of attention, that doesn't mean you're a narcissist or a communal narcissist. So don't freak out about that. There are actual measures and standards to look at that people and their behavior need to meet in order for us to say, us meaning psychology or other educated people, not new age, ninth dimensional channelers, etc. But there are certain <clears throat> standards or checklists that you have to match in order for someone to say, yeah, this is really a problem. For us regular folks, mainly what you want to look at is understand these behaviors and see if you're out of balance and do some course correction. So now I'm into cults. Um, always been concerned about cults and cult-like behavior, including people who want to join a cult, which nobody wants to join a cult, as all the cult experts say. People want to join something that's a good thing, that's going to save the world or revive the political system or help women or expand our minds. So you join something that is good, and very often in the beginning... It is good, and then the leadership goes insane, and the members are subjected to mind control, so they go along with it. Or Ram Das pointed out one time that some of the leadership from India came over from the West to the land of sexual freedom, which they had never seen before, and had women throwing themselves at them, and they, as he said, fell like wheat beneath the scythe, meaning they just succumbed and then became crazier. So there's lots of small variations of cult-like behavior, including families. You can have cult families where uh, if you listen to some of these interviews of uh, there's a hashtag, we got out, meaning we got out of a cult. Some people are talking about the cult of a family run by a domineering father who also tried to control who you married, what church you went to, what you believed, what you thought. Those are all mind control techniques, and that all belongs under the umbrella of cult or mind control or a <clears throat> forceful organization. Well, I come from the school of being a community organizer, and the whole point of being a community organizer is to make yourself obsolete. You hand over tools, you educate people, you teach them how to ask questions, teach them critical thinking, teach them how to problem solve, 
show some tools that you might know and slowly become irrelevant so that the organization starts to take over itself and starts to function and run without you. And that is what community organizing is, forming grassroots organizations that learn how to get shit done. And they also learn about leadership, possibly rotating leadership. They also learn about being a good member that doesn't allow leadership to be out of control or lazy or selfish. And I look at the teachings I do the same way. And perhaps that's why I will never make a great living. I considered my job to become irrelevant, unnecessary, other than fun, a good thing to go to. Like Kind of like if you have a personal trainer at some point, you don't need the trainer, but that doesn't mean you stop going to the gym. It also doesn't mean that you hate your personal trainer, and it also doesn't mean that you never use your personal trainer again. It means, yeah, you might check in with them once a month or couple times a year to see how you're doing or to up your program. Okay, I've lost a puppy. Hoshi, come on. Good girl. Good. I see my job is becoming uh, not irrelevant, but becoming one of many resources that people have as a way to live a life that is more meaningful, more spiritual, more awakened than perhaps what they had before, or perhaps they just weren't happy with the level of the quality of their life. So all of my teachings are around, here's what I know, here's what I've learned, here's what I've studied, here's what I've experienced, and some of this might work for you. But the only way you're going to know is to try and also to speak up and be courageous enough to say something like, well, I did what you said, but it doesn't work for me. What else can we try? Or why do you think maybe it didn't work? Is there some correction I need? Is there something I'm missing? Is there something I misunderstood? This is different than tell me what to do so I can win my court case make my husband stop drinking, get a mate, etc. That is behaving like a cult member. <laughs> it's, uh, this kind of work is a combination of being very respectful of someone who's teaching you. That's the other end of the pendulum, as lots of people, especially in the beginning, used to come to someone like me in order to use me as a sort of whipping post that they could show they're better than what someone like me is. Me, me being what I call an HVT, high value target, meaning if you're better than me, then you're really somebody. Because being better than, say, a street bum doesn't mean much to your ego. But if you go see somebody and you're a little disrespectful or you're challenging or you're snotty or you're sabotaging or whatever, and you, quote, win then that can give you, for a while, a false sense of self, a sense of value, etc. So you don't want to go to that end of the pendulum wing, but you also don't want to go to the other end of, she has all the answers. If you want to learn more about cult and uh, mind control and brainwashing, Yanya, J-A-N-J-A, Lalich, L-A-L-I-C-H, is a sociologist, I believe also a psychologist, an expert on cult mind control, how it happens, what to do, how to get out, how to recover. She is somebody that the people who are in Nexium and Scientology and other groups use extensively. Uh, some people who are with Rajneesh, also known as Osho, who went to, started good perhaps, went insane. Maybe he always was insane. Um, They use her and her books to educate, re-educate themselves, learn how to be a more responsible participant in something that you find helpful and useful and interesting and wonderful. So she's on YouTube. I don't think she has podcasts. And you can learn a lot and kind of change your own behaviors, do a lot of self-help. 
because the cult attitude is pervasive right now, even in the yoga communities, the Reiki communities, etc. So going back to life path healings and my own work, my job, part of my job, aside from sharing what I know, is to protect myself from disrespect and abuse, both of which I have experienced from people who want to study with me, uh, to protect myself from being used by other people in unhealthy ways. That's my self-care end of it. Uh, Also to make sure that I ask for the value of my work to be honored. I had a very hard time charging money for the work I do. The universe forced me into that position by making it the only way that I have enough income to live um, without retirement, trust fund, ex-husband, husband, wife, ex-wife, children, aunts, uncles, anything, (laughs) nothing. So I was forced into learning to do that kind of self-care and working with that. Very challenging for me always, very loaded issue for me always. But the biggest part for me is to make sure that nobody turns me into their crutch, their identity totem or amulet, and that um, I can teach people to stand on their own two feet, even from the very beginning. That a hand up to someone does not mean that you're disabled, stupid, incorrect, hopeless, broken. It just means a hand up. That's all it means. Now, after you get a hand up, it's up to you to keep walking. Or you might fall down in the hole again. And you might fall down in the hole and have people give you a hand up for decades. I've seen people do that. That's kind of becomes their routine. And some of that can come from having an early childhood where the only time you got attention was when you were in trouble. And when you're doing well, you get ignored. And in fact, I talked about this last night in the Zoom meeting. Um, How do we reward excellence? Because we reward helplessness, depression, sadness, failure, bad choices. We're all like, oh, it's okay. We'll help you. And here's all these agencies to help you. And, and, and that's all good. I mean, I am totally not against helping people. However, what do we do when people are doing fantastic? Do you ever come home and hug and kiss your roommate, your mate, your friend? I am so happy you've helped keep the house clean for so long. I just love that you do that. You give them a big hug and kiss, and then, uh, you, you know, you go and take a shower and get ready to go to the gym. We rarely do that for each other. But if they're depressed, we're like, I'm calling to see how you're doing. Well, hell yeah, I want to stay depressed. Because <laughs> then you give me some attention, and you, you're worried about me. You care about me. You notice me. If I'm out of balance, that kind of behavior is going to help keep me out of balance. And this can be why sometimes there are people who make a lifestyle out of falling down and getting a hand up. And they change teachers. You know, they've gone to four different churches. They've studied with 10 gurus. They've been to, you know, uh, 17 psychologists, etc. It's one of the reasons I love 12-step meetings again, because they invite you to join humanity and see that we all fall down, we all get up, we all can do spectacular things. You hear some incredible, miraculous stories in 12-step meetings, and it's not any, there's no high-value target in 12-step meetings. There's no one to impress. There's no one that if you do what they say, uh, you're going to have a come-to-Jesus moment. It's just folks... And some of the stories are a million times worse than yours. And you go, wow, I got off easy compared to that person. And some of the stories are miraculous and give you hope like, wow, maybe something like that can happen for me if I keep going and I don't give up. Handing over 
knowledge, learning, and experiences so that other people can prosper. This is so anti-capitalist, by the way. And it's sometimes also anti-tradition in the spiritual field. I know one of the things we talked about with the path that I follow with my teacher, who is a Chinese man, uh, and other people I know who study with gurus from India. Guru, by the way, means true teacher, as opposed to, say, a fake teacher. That's what it's supposed to mean. And the tradition of the East is that if the teacher has protégés or a protégé, they never tell them everything. Because if they tell them everything, that student might surpass them or take over from them or split off and do their own thing and steal, so to speak, the, the uh, sunshine from the original teacher. And it is... A well-known fact that they do that this is the male teachers I've never heard this about a female guru normally in India referred to as a ma and I've never heard of a Chinese female guru and so what happens with that sadly is a lot of great knowledge is taken to the grave all in the name of control and power which is the foundation of all mind control groups all cults and also just many dysfunctional people, power. Second to that is control, money, and sex. Not necessarily in that order. So the danger of being someone who is a satguru, a true guru, is that you really face putting yourself out of business. I mean, that's what community organizing was. I organized among many, many communities, and I never was to become a permanent member of the community. It was, come on, Pia. Pia, come. It was with the idea of moving on so the community could continue to function rather than taking over the community. I talked to a therapist recently, and she said, yeah, we set a termination plan almost from the first session nowadays so that people don't get hooked on the idea of needing a therapist forever. And it's, it's funny because it's the most honorable thing to do, tons of integrity, but it also puts you out of business <laughs> a lot. In other words, you have to have high turnover. You have to have traffic uh, in order to do it right and be healthy. Such an inter interesting dilemma. So how do we, meaning anybody who has learned anything, anybody who has worked on themselves to any depth of getting some insight and being able to change the quality of their lives, how do we hand over this material without being used without being manipulated, without being worshipped, without being taken advantage of. What I mean by the last one is I can't tell you how many people have hustled me for friendship, but it turned out the reason they wanted me to be a friend is because I was then their built-in, as one yoga person referred to me, their pet psychic, which was like, are you kidding me? First of all, why would you listen to a pet psychic as opposed to a PhD mystic? I would much rather say, this is my PhD mystic shaman, and I am so honored that I have this person as a resource in my life. But no, I was the pet shock, uh, psychic, and we were friends, which means, how dare you charge me for your services, even though anytime I used the yoga studio, I was charged. <laughs> And that's what I mean about being taken advantage of, being hustled and being disrespected. So that is the danger is once you start to become um, slightly educated, healed, kind of up and running, your light, your energy has become stronger. Pia, come. Come on, Pia. She doesn't like the heat. Come on, Pia. She's black, so I'm sure that has something to do with it. Come on, girl. Good girl. So people will be attracted to you because your energy is yummy. I've also talked about this, that entities, which is another podcast I've talked about, entities will also be drawn to you. 
So in order to have a lot more light to hold it and not get hustled, seduced, manipulated, or having people throw themselves at you kind of like begging for begging for help and you're my savior and I can't do it without you. You have to get really, really strong about I'm not anybody's savior. People save themselves and spirit helps them. And each person is going to do that in a slightly different way because we're all individuals and there might be some general principles but the actual implementation the order of things how they're done when they're done how exactly they're done is very very specific to each individual and each situation when these tools are used so as you become a person of light then you have to deal with the fact that you're going to have a fan club And how do you manage your fan club? Well, don't have a fan club. <laughs> Make it clear from the beginning that you're a resource. Don't let your ego get seduced by compliments, presents, um, and ego trips that people might lay on you. Like, you're the only one who can help me. I tried all these other people, etc. But another really great way to handle all of this is asking questions. And if the clingy, cult-like behavior continues, asking hard questions like, how come when we talk about your life, you light up, you're happy, you have fun stories to tell, but when you come here, you're always crying and depressed and uh, talking about how much pain you're in and you don't know what's going on, etc. That's a tough question to ask somebody because what you're asking them is, am I a good resource for you, number one? Or you might also be asking, is this your hustle? That the way you get attention, especially from a high-value target, Pia, is to go helpless and to be in pain. And that way you get somebody that you consider important or amazing or in new age terms, gifted and talented to bond with you and take care of you. How you ask questions is of utmost importance. And to me, it's ultimately something you have to learn by doing. In other words, no matter what I tell you about it, ultimately, you're going to have to try. And when we try something like this, it's scary because there's other people at risk here. You're helping other people. Uh, it might be people that you work with. It might be friends. It might be family members. And here you are being a secret agent, meaning they're drawn to you and your energy because of the work you've done or maybe because of karma and fate. Who knows? doesn't matter and how do you help to hand over tools insights empowerment self-empowerment in a way where you won't also destroy the relationship because maybe you have to work with them or maybe they're family members oh look it's a little black pug <laughs> good girl I would suggest that you, in the beginning, practice, instead of giving advice and answers right away, practice asking low-risk questions. What are low-risk questions? Can you tell me more about that? How are you feeling? What exactly happened? What did you say? What was the reaction? So you're teaching the person to self-examine and you're slowing down your impulse to be the great and mighty Oz, meaning that you have the answers and you know what to do and you have a special technique and you have a crystal ball 
like a real crystal ball or you have the perfect essential oils etc instead you're now teaching this person to self-examine and do some critical thinking and inviting them to get really honest also with themselves and also to be honest to another person because eventually people need to get strong enough to be honest with other people as is appropriate in each situation. In other words, honesty with a boss is different than honesty with a best friend is different than honesty with your kid. So learn to ask low-risk questions. Why did you think that? Why do you think that's true? And sometimes you'll feel the person brace because a lot of people I have found experience being asked a question as they're being challenged, that they're being secretly criticized, and that if they were really smart and knew the right answers, no one would be asking them questions. There would just be agreement all the way around. That A lot of that comes out of the programming of our current educational system, which is in the toilet as far as I'm concerned. So sometimes I'll say to somebody, I'm not challenging you, and I don't. there's no secret right answer. I'm literally asking this to get information, to find out what you think or what happened. And sometimes I have to say that 15 times in a conversation because I can feel the person bracing. Maybe they grew up in a family that said things like, you're so stupid, you should know the answer to that by now. So asking questions always end up in some punitive or degrading comment to the person. So all they're trying to do when you ask a question is second guess what you might want to hear. And you can feel that energy in them if you're on a path and doing some work. Not everybody is energy sensitive. That's why, you know, I keep referring back to you need a foundation of work on yourself to be able to do this, this kind of stuff that I'm talking about here. You can't just start here. Some people can, but most can't because your ego and your own defenses and your own wounds are up and running and running your life. So a lot of times when you're asking people questions, instead of getting an answer, you're getting a reaction. And... Because at that moment, I'm not being their therapist. They didn't come to see me as a therapist. I'm talking about being a secret agent. I will take care of their feelings about being asked questions. And after a while, they're going to learn that, at least with me, questions are safe. In fact, they're fun. Because now we get to figure shit out. So start with nice, low-risk questions. And if you see someone's hackles going up or you can feel that they're being afraid, or uh, you feel them backing off, or you can kind of see them scrambling for the right answer, definitely jump in and explain that there's no tricks There's no right answer. You don't know. You're trying to find out what they know and and that maybe they haven't thought about this before and that's why you're asking the questions. And like I said, you might have to say this 15 times in one conversation because people aren't going to believe it. If they've grown up in a funky family where there's a lot of tricks and manipulations and a lot of punishment for no reason that anybody can understand... Believe it or not, it's really hard for some people to simply answer some questions. It's, it's terrifying to me that that's true. Because how do you live and grow and expand without curiosity? And the main ingredient of curiosity is asking questions. What's that? How does it work? What does it do? What does it eat? Etc. And a lot of people have been shamed for asking questions. The other thing that you can do when you're beginning to practice sharing your knowledge and your energy, and I'm not talking about doing this professionally. Again, I'm going back to being a secret agent, just being a better you in your family, at your workplace, etc. is getting your energy together. We had a president at one of my schools, great guy. He got recruited to go around and start rescuing other campuses. It's a big, heavy, round-faced, sweet, sweet energy. I think he was a devout Christian, Chinese guy. When I first met him, I was coming for my big interview professor and 
there was all these people playing basketball outside the school and there was this big Chinese guy playing with them and he looked young so he could have been a student and so then when I went in for the interview there sitting in the interview sweating is the big Chinese guy and they go oh, yeah he's a president <laughs> I loved it so he came from playing ping-pong or basketball I can't remember which it was sweating his ass off didn't have time to change and he's sitting in, in the interview and you know kind of in the back or on the side and he's the president so after I got hired there whenever there was a problem instead of dreading going to the president's office it was like I hope I get to go because as soon as you walk in he goes how can I help you that was his first question tell me what's going on so I can help you and he meant it it wasn't this bullshit that I've heard from other people we have an open-door policy no you don't <laughs> not for a second you don't you read about that it's like people who say I don't get angry I'm a Buddhist I'm like yeah all right you read you're not supposed to get angry so you don't but I feel all your anger so the reason that worked with this president is because he meant it he wasn't faking it he wasn't doing a cool thing he was being himself which is leadership as being of service to people come come Hoshi come and he also Hoshi come 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 in come Hoshi oh my god Hoshi come come on he also had a backbone of steel meaning you could not pull the wool over his eyes you could not hustle him you could not bullshit him Hoshi no he was there to serve you but you needed to be straight Hoshi no come on good girl good girl you if you hustled him oh my god you would feel his energy shift so fast I watch people try to do that with him and he'd problem-solve but now it was problem-solving like uh, you just shot somebody and killed them what are we going to do about it it was that energy and that energy that he had trickled down to the entire culture of the school and when he left a big hustler manipulator took over and everything changed why am I bringing that up is because do not underestimate the impact you can have on the people around you by how you live your life in other words if you've stolen something if you manipulate if you lie about your about things so that you can get more for yourself everybody around you is going to pick up on that energy whether it's spoken about or not if you've done that and realize you've been doing that you can clean that shit up and that will impact the people around you as well to clean up their own lives and that it's okay to clean up it's okay to make a mistake and clean up if you keep going along like nothing happened and we don't talk about it you're passing that culture along to your family and your friends so I'm sure you all know that you react and act differently around different groups of friends when you hang out with drinkers you drink you make jokes your body you might be racist you might be sexist it's fun it's funny then you hang around your spiritual people you don't talk about drinking you don't make those kind of jokes you talk about humility and service and gratitude and all those cool things and then when you're around your intellectual friends you might talk about the newest information that you read about this is not being dishonest this is called getting along with people however it can also be dishonest in other words you are getting along in order to benefit from keeping these relationships going while deliberately hiding and manipulating information that you share and withhold this goes back to it's not what you do it's how you do it one way you're doing it as a hustle and another way you're doing it is to be appropriate Pia come here no street no street come on 
In other words, my movie friends don't want to hear about the newest theories and concepts that I've read about regarding psychology or spirituality. They don't care. So we're going to talk about actors and their lives and movies and plots and how it was shot and how it was edited and all that cool stuff because I'm interested in that. But I'm not doing it to hustle them or make them into a high-value target. I'm doing it because that's part of my life. That's fun. And not everybody in every group of friends shares that with me. Come, come. This way. Hoshi. Hoshi. Come. This way. Good girl, Pia. Come on. Good. Come on. Come on. Good dogs. Very good. No street. When we talk about culture is trickle down in a business, that is 1,000% true. But I also say that culture is trickle out like a pebble thrown into a quiet pond. The ripples of your behavior affect everyone around you. And if that isn't something that you crave, I would say to you, why are you working on yourself and spirituality? I used to tell people when I was a professor and when I did readings in the early years, I don't say this so much anymore because I'm not in a friendly neighborhood in uh, my little conservative town, but that the reason I teach is because I'm lonely. I want more people out there that I can relate to, talk to, have heartfelt vibes, share experiences with. So I share what I know with the hopes that it wakes people up to whatever degree, makes their life better. And when people have a better life, they're less violent, they're less manipulative, they're less angry with no reason, they're less selfish, they're less greedy, they're less likely to use other people as a resource, meaning for those people who pursue high-value targets and try to convince them that you are amazing so your self-esteem goes up. It creates more honesty. It creates space for dissension and disagreement to exist without harming anybody. And that's why I do this work. And that's why I've always done it before it became my profession. It was something I always did on the side. So this brings me to something else as well. Come here, Oshie. If you're trying to figure out if something, a practice or a person is helping you or harming you, or if you're becoming your authentic self or you're becoming the puppet of someone else's belief system, like those people who come to me and cry and act like they think a sinner should act, but then they lead the rest of their life as a sinner, so to speak, and love it. <laughs> I'm using their language and their concepts, not mine. Go back and see what you remember. What did you do as a child in your spare time? Now, this isn't always a helpful tool because if you grew up in an abusive family, no, Hoshi, no, 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 Hoshi, no street. Come here, come, Hoshi, come here. Oh, she's so hard to train. Good dog. Very good. Very good. Let's go hop up. Come on. No street. Off leash training. If you grew up in an abusive family and you might say, no, no, you might say to yourself, what I like to do is hide under a tree, no, and read books and hug my stuffed animal, that might not be who you really are. That might be what you did at a very young age because your family life sucked. So you want to see if there were memories that you had that were fun, that you thought were fun. 
And again, this can be tricky. So in the beginning, you may have to work with somebody to sort of sort out all your childhood garbage first before you do what I'm talking about here. But I can tell you, when I was very young, come on, Hoshi. I told my mother that, come on, I wanted to grow up and be a cat and have kittens because she told me I could be anything, which in my little child brain thought that was literally anything. Okay, guys, you're okay. Ever since I was little, I've been rescuing animals. Ever since I was little, I talk to animals and they talk back to me. And I remember even the adults around me saying, oh, she has such a way with animals. I don't know what a way meant, but it shows me that I've always been an animal lover, a nature lover, and I've always rescued. Meaning, if there was a litter of puppies or kittens, everybody would play with the cutest, most friendly. I would play with the one that was the most sad or hurt or fearful. So I've always rescued everything. I've always loved nature. I've always loved animals. Now that did not lead me to a career in nature and animals. I wanted it to. I wanted to be a vet at one point. I wanted to be a forest ranger. Those doors not only never opened for me, my family worked completely against it because they had other ideas about who or what I should be. I even wanted to go to medical school at one point and um, there was no backup for that in my family whatsoever. And uh, I was on my own at a very, very young age, so I couldn't pull, pull that off by myself. I didn't know how to do that, medical school. Long story about that. Moving on. <laughs> so have you been drawing since you were young? Did you used to sing to yourself? Did, were you always physical? Were you always doing sports? Have you always been an introvert? And that's one of those areas where you have to start looking to see, was that because the family was messed up or because you're actually an introvert? Were you always an extrovert or were you just a giant people pleaser that if you could make your family laugh, your dad wouldn't hit you so hard or perhaps wouldn't sleep with you against your wishes? So it's, this is not a simple investigation, but to me it is a crucial investigation so that you can start to discover for yourself your natural bent, so to speak. And with that, it becomes easier to avoid trying to be a cult member of some kind. People who grew up in religious communities or with a lot of religion in the school, I'll start my car. Um, they seem to be, to me, the biggest population that comes to someone like me wanting to know what they need to do right in order to get the most out of life and to have the least amount of pain. And that, to me, is pretty typical of anybody brought up in a religion, and this includes any religion that is where I guess the child is brought up and told what to think and believe rather than encouraged to find out what they think and believe. I don't know details about every single religion, but I do know that in the Jewish religion, you are taught to question and argue when you study the Talmud and uh, the Torah and the Jewish systems and you work with a rabbi, the way you study is what we call the Socratic method, which is you ask questions and both sides argue their truth until you both find your own truth and now you understand each other better. This is how this person sees it. This is how this person sees it. And you learn from that. You understand that you can both read the same thing, scripture of some sort, and both see it differently. And you learn to respect that and you learn how to work with that. So Jews, uh, a lot of Armenians, Italians, Greek, a lot of the ethnic white groups have cultures where asking questions and healthy 
fun-loving, challenging arguments are the norm, to me is a great benefit because you learn to be curious, you're unafraid to have different opinions, and you learn the skills of asking questions. But for those of you who have never had that, you're going to have to do a little bit more inner work to get to that place of asking questions and overcome your background of being shamed and or punished for being curious. When you reach out to help anybody around you, always check yourself. What can I do to hand over tools and get out of the way as quickly as possible? Rather than, how can I give the best answer? How can I help them? How can I charge money for this? How can I uh, do the amazing things my teacher taught me? How can I do this amazing thing for someone else? And then I'm amazing. You want to check yourself on all of that material as much as possible. I would say in the beginning, especially of you know learning things with energy and learning some of the mystical arts, which can be indeed awe-inspiring, fantastic, uh, look like miracles, are miracles, that you work on in the beginning years to become invisible as quickly as possible. Come on, pups. In fact, it can be a little bit ego-busting when you see somebody thriving and they don't even remember to give you credit or thank you. <laughs> It can be a little bit like, I taught you that. Like, why aren't you remembering that I taught you that? Well, that's actually a job well done. Yes, sometimes it can be disrespect. Sometimes it can be a sign that the person's on a giant ego trip. So, of course, you know, there are extremes and you want to look for the balance points. But in reality, that is a great compliment. Hoshi, no, come here. Oh, my God. She is literally rolling in dead animal flesh. Disgusting. Now you can't come in the house because you smell like a dead rat. Ugh. She's going to drive me crazy. She did this yesterday. I couldn't figure out where she got it from. But now I know. <laughs> so, the joys of owning a puppy, a free-roaming puppy. <laughs> So yes, you, you want to aim for, especially in the beginning years, that place where you become unnoticeable. And that is a hard place to be when you work so hard to be amazing, so to speak. Come here, you. Now you have to get a second bath, like, every day. Ugh, disgusting. Come on. Come on. Let's go. One of the best places to practice this, two places I can think of. One is with your kids. And at least for me, with young people, it's a lot easier to not feel abandoned, neglected, ignored, or disrespected when a young person is doing something and doesn't remember that I taught them that. I'm like, that's the way it should be. For some reason, that is a mindset for me. It may not be for you, but it is for me. But also with coworkers, or if you're a supervisor with your employees, it to me is such a great joy to see people that I work with flourishing and acting, they're acting as if they did it all on their own in a healthy way. In other words, they're not being, you know, cuckoo and saying, I do everything all by myself, I don't need anybody. But they forgot that they got a tip or a hand up from you. And they still like you and they're still respectful and all that, but they're not like, oh, I could never be here without you and you're amazing. There's none of that. So in the beginning years of getting well, getting healthy, getting strong, and the light of that is going to draw people into you naturally. And instead of running away from it or being scared of it or going on an ego trip about it, 
maybe you can try this approach of taking responsibility for the fact that it's happening and being proud to become invisible as soon as possible because you're handing over the tools and the techniques and your knowledge as much as you can in order to help someone else to use them on their own, their own way, tweaking it to make it work best for them. In the meantime, I'm going to continue with Zoom meetings. I'm going to put it up on my um, Facebook page. There will be a link that to a company called Ticket Tailor. makes it really easy to pay for. And uh, that way the links stay private. And most of all, I would like to hear from people. First of all, if it's helping, if you like it. And I'd love to hear also what else you would like to have happen in the Zoom meetings. I got a little bit of feedback last night, but I could definitely use more. Just like I've asked for questions for the podcast, and I think two people have sent me questions. That's it. Three, maybe. So your input is invaluable. I'm not running this show. I am trying to be of service. So the more you help me be of service, the more I know what to do, at least for the moment. So I do encourage you to get a hold of me on my website. There's a contact sheet. You can always text me. My uh, phone number's up there. You can email me. You can call me. And I wish more people would take advantage of that and say, I want to know all about this. And if it's something that I think it's too early to talk to you about, like there's not enough of an energy foundation for it, I will say that. Um, But if it's something that can be addressed in a podcast or a Zoom meeting, that would be so helpful for me. So I'm encouraging you to do that. Hope to see you soon. Have a great day. Journey on and hope you stick around with Life Path Healings until you get in a place where it's obsolete. We become obsolete for you. (laughs) But I hope you don't leave forever because it is also nice to have a kind of community and uh, people to be able to, like-minded people to talk to. Signing off.